Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. What an awesome opportunity I had to sit down with uh, Jesse Janae from Lumi. I'm excited for you to get into this interview that I got to do with her. She's doing some incredible things. Um, but first, I have to give a shout out to uh, Doxalent, who is our sponsor for season three. Like I've already said, if you've been listening, you already know uh, you can get a free ebook. And the ebook is called How to Transform Your Packaging Specification Workflow to Increase Efficiency and Decrease Time to Market. So please uh, help out the podcast, up your uh, packaging uh, information and knowledge, and go to uh, www.peopleofpackaging.com. www.peopleofpackaging.com. First name, last name, email address, that's it. You get your free ebook. Helps out the podcast and it'll help you out. So let's get to our episode with Jesse Janae from Lumi. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. I am delighted because I've had so many people tell me what incredible things uh, Lumi is doing in the packaging world. And I'm just super stoked uh, to be able to. Have a conversation and an interview with Jesse Janae. I said that right, correct? That's correct. All right, awesome. We 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 just reviewed that ten seconds ago, and I was already nervous. Okay. I I took German in high school, so you no, know, there's not not a lot of French talk. So, uh, Jesse, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for jumping on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Sweet, sweet. Uh, how many packaging podcasts have you been on? Um, how many packaging podcasts are there? <laughs> Let me throw that right back at you. <laughs> um, better question. I know of, uh, I will actually give some plugs because okay. we need more packaging podcasts out there. So okay. I know of, let's see here, um, my friend Avelio Matos mm -hmm. has unboxed the packaging mm -hmm. design podcast. Mm -hmm. I, I believe Tim Sykes hosts mm -hmm. a podcast out of Packaging Europe. Mm, cool. And... Um, I believe there's another one that maybe Packaging Digest does. I don't recall, though. Um, but the fact that we're struggling, I can tell you three Denver Nuggets podcasts. So the fact that we're struggling to, uh, sorry, did we, we, we cut out there a little bit. Out there for a second, hopefully. No, we're fine. We're fine. Okay, well, I can, cool. Uh, anyway, I, I only know maybe four or five, but I know like four Denver Nuggets podcasts. So. Mm -hmm. We can we can get a lot more packaging podcasts, I think, out there. <laughs> That's awesome. I definitely have done my fair share of podcasts, but I, I think that um I would love to a lot of times people just ask about the entrepreneurial journey. So I'd I, I always love actually digging in more about the packaging world in specific. Awesome. We yeah. are going to dig. Uh, <laughs> so uh so Jesse, tell the people who are listening just, you know, kind of about your your background, I like to frame it, you know, we're at LuxPack or Pack Expo and, yeah. and it's at a networking event and you're like, oh, this is this is who I am. So you, it's not like your resume, you know, right. this is, you know, it's just where'd you grow up and what do you like to do and. And how'd you get into this crazy industry? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm, I, I live in LA now, but I'm actually originally from um, the suburbs of Detroit. So from Michigan, um, born and raised in Michigan. Um, I had no idea growing up there that there was like that, you know, I was close to MSU packaging program or anything like that, or CCS is another great school um, over there. Um, had no idea. I just grew up in Michigan and I was pretty determined to leave. <laughs> um, and um, not that it was, uh, I, I loved growing up there, but I, um, you know, really knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was like what I knew uh, growing up. I didn't know, probably didn't know what that meant. I didn't know very many entrepreneurs, didn't know um, a lot about how to start something, but I kind of got a bug early that that would be an interesting path for me and uh, got myself um, out to LA. So people often ask me what brought me out to LA and I just say my car. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there was not much, like I didn't, I didn't know if I was gonna go to school. I totally freaked my parents out by not um, just like going to college right out of high school. Didn't even go to all of my high school. I did end up graduating. You are looking at a high school graduate. Um, but I skipped most of my senior year, like attending um, and just was able to get enough credits to like get my diploma. So it took a bit of a, like an unorthodox route to like leaving home and getting to college. Um, did go to college, but then dropped out. So like really wow. <laughs> took my parents on a roller coaster. <laughs> Um, of, of events um, and then started my first business um, almost more than a decade ago, which um, makes me feel like somehow young and old all at once um, because it was the early days of Kickstarter and like kind of really early. I think of that as like the earliest like direct to consumer boom where it was like, I'm just gonna post a video and tell the world what I'm doing and then see how they react. Um, so so had like this whole phase there and, and circuitously that kind of leads me to packaging because my co-founder and I ran a company where we were trying to package something. We were like, launched a product on Kickstarter um, and ran into probably every problem in the book you can imagine from fulfillment issues to breakage, um, to, you know, learning how to run a company from scratch. Uh, and so we, you know, I'm skipping over like five years here, but basically we learned about the pain of, of um, trying to grow something and trying to run a product-based business. And it really gave us um, a lot of information we needed to be like, hey, I think that something is not necessarily ideal about the way that packaging procurement and sourcing and uh, design and development works. And that sort of leads us into, into Lumi. Um, you know, uh, like any entrepreneurial journey, it's not like a set of neat steps, but yeah. um, it is kind of how we, how we end up getting here. Okay, and is it the same co-founder then? It is, yeah. Okay. Stefan. Um, so Stefan and I have been working together for um, over a decade. Um, uh -huh. It's kind of like a work uh, work marriage um, <laughs> uh, in, a, in a way, you know, you learn how to work with someone. And so this is our second company together. Okay. That's cool. I yeah. mean, that's, I don't, I don't know how many people can say that. I, I mean, you hear the studies about like family owned businesses that mm -hmm. don't make it to a second and third generation. Yeah, but but people staying in business. Did, did you sell your first company then? Is that what happened? 
we 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 didn't it was like this um it was this product based business that um it was not a tech company uh was very dissimilar from lumi so it wasn't like we tried to go get it acquired um but we basically like sold down all of our inventory um and did some cool um partnerships with some other companies to take over some of the things that we were doing that were um working and so it was more like winding it down but in a successful way so we didn't have to shut it down dramatically uh but we were able to like kind of cap that adventure by selling down our inventory and and doing a couple of partnerships. So that was that we kind of ended that chapter and then started this one. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so if I'm looking at uh, one of my questions is you said your car brought you to LA. Uh, it, was it a really cool car? What kind I of? I mean, it actually was. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're asking that because you because you sleuthed something out online. But no. It was a 19. Six, okay, because it was a 1969 Lincoln Mark III, um, and uh, I fixed it up at home. Um, I may have mentioned I'm from Detroit. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, so I feel like in Detroit, everyone's got like a car sitting in their garage that their, you know, dad or relative or someone like wants to fix up or like had in some yesteryear. And so in this case, we had that this car was sitting in our driveway. And when I was 15, I asked whether we could start working on it to fix it up so I could drive it when I turned 16. Um, and that's what we did. So um it was a huge project. I so I started working on the car when I was like, you know, just turned 15 and uh, and ended up getting it operational. I mean, it's still operational was like a general term um, because I still <laughs> I still ended up by, uh, like landing on the side of the road plenty of times with it. Um, but I did learn a lot about cars in the process. I bet it was probably also you know as you're kind of telling your story. It seems like your your entrepreneurial story started, you know, probably even before you were 15. But saying, "I see this opportunity. Can I work and dig in to build something that yeah. can then become a vehicle to do something else?" In, in a very literal sense, there. <laughs> yes, yes. And I actually, I skipped. I did skip over. So, like, there's so many chapters. I skipped over the part where I did start a business actually when I was in high school. Um, uh, I was doing screen printing and um, and selling T-shirts, and I was also working on this weird print process that was what led to my first business with Stefan. Um, so I, I was definitely like in this entrepreneurial mindset as a teenager, and I think part of that was thinking about something like the car. Um, I knew that the alternative was probably like getting some like cheap leased vehicle or like um, or, or like getting some old Honda or something like that, you know, that I could try to afford. And I really wanted something unique. And so I, and I was willing to put in the work, you know, for, for that, um, even though it was painful. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, I spent like most of my evenings and stuff after school, like working on that car, um, doing body work, like um, getting probably tons of chemical exposure. You still have <laughs> it? As a teenager. <laughs> you still so, have yeah. the car? Um, actually, like got rid of it literally last year. Well, someone in my family has it. So um, it was actually shipped back to Michigan. So it is still like, it exists. Awesome. Um, but I sent it, yeah, sent it back to Michigan last year because um, I was no longer like using it out here. I feel like one there's going to be a day in the future where Lumi has has gotten even bigger than it already is now, and this car is sitting in the lobby as like a reminder of 
the you know not just the hard work but it's it's a really cool symbol like you're saying a lot of things about you know i just i i knew that i could do this but instead i chose to do this and just a little bit and i'm excited to get into lumi it seems like that's a, a common principle that has has kind of guided you um, sure. you know since you were a teenage girl outside of detroit to go to la with without much of a plan in, in an old broken down vehicle that you just you just rebuilt is is courageous and and i think there's always a fine line between like courage and crazy and, and so crazy. it's probably it's probably right there it's teetering but you well lumi has another i feel like i gotta throw this at you now lumi has another possible vehicular um mascot uh that might win out um for the lobby mascot before the 69 lincoln and that is my um airstream trailer so i had i lived in an airstream trailer behind the lumi office for two years um and when we were in this like industrial area in la called vernon um and um and I, I'm, I actually moved out of it last year. So I'm, and, and like, I, I really like, I didn't have to live in it, like completely have to from a complete cost perspective. Like I could have rented an apartment or something in LA. Um, but again, kind of similar to the Lincoln, like I could have, but that would have been kind of boring, like just renting some small apartment in LA, um, whereas living in the Airstream was kind of an adventure. Um, and so I did that and we still have the Airstream at the office. Um, and, uh, and so that's like, that's kind of very embedded into Lumi lore because a lot of people have actually worked at Lumi who remember that I lived in the back of the office in it. Um, and now it's used for like, I mean, we're not even really at the office anymore right now, but uh, it's yeah. used for yeah. calls and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, this, so one of my favorite things about doing these interviews is, uh, I, I really don't, I don't do like. I'm not like a journalist, like I'm not like preparing these questions. These are all, I just I, I just love like the initial reactions because I'm like, holy cow, that's incredible. I know, I literally had no idea. Uh, but uh, what's cool, so um, I'm sure you're familiar with New Belgium Brewery out of Fort Collins. They also, when I, I went to school in at Colorado State, um, which is the, uh, is, is the Harvard of the Rockies, um, cool. as everybody knows. <laughs> And, <laughs> and uh, so New Belgium was, this was 1999 to 2002, and New Belgium was really coming on the scene then, and they had an old Airstream trailer. Mm. And I don't remember what the story was about the trailer, but they would just put a bunch of, like, free things in there. Mm -hmm. So you could ride your bike, because it was it's a big biking community in Fort Collins, yes. it's a college town. You could ride your bike over there. You could drive, but a lot of people would ride their bikes there, and... You would just go into this airstream, and sometimes there would be anything in it. Sometimes they just have, you know, whatever, like any anything. I mean, you couldn't get beer because you had to be ID'd, but yeah. they just had free knickknacks and just all sorts cool. of things there. It yeah. was it was cool. So maybe you can maybe you can do something fun like that in the future. I don't know, but we will consider that. But yeah, there's a there's a few elements of my you know weird lifestyle choices that have meandered their way into into Lumi, sometimes literally into the office. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is incredible uh all right so uh lumi is how old now five years six years old correct we started okay. lumi in 2015 so so about five years although i would say honestly it probably took us another um 18 months to two years after founding the company to really focus on packaging um and and that's 
me kind of being honest about the entrepreneurial journey, like uh, a lot of times people paint it as though like, and then we, in 2015, we were like packaging supply chain, like, you know, yeah. let's digitize that and let's like make it perfect. And, um, and I think that uh, we were, if you had met us in 2015, we would have been talking about packaging related things. And we'd have been saying like, the people who are founding and scaling companies are not the same people who understand how sourcing and manufacturing and production work. Um, and we see gaps, you know, in this um, in this system that we can fix. But we just hadn't narrowed in on like talking that much about the packaging industry because what's interesting potentially um, is that we don't we didn't think we were like getting into the packaging industry specifically. We were like we were noticing that people who are launching and scaling products online were having trouble sourcing and managing the things they needed. It just turns out that most of what they need aside from their product is packaging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but like the problem in our brain was more like e-commerce entrepreneurs um, and people who are like selling online are having trouble with production. And it like was actually a bit of a hop, skip and a jump for us that the main thing they needed help with was packaging. So I think it is interesting to note like how you can get into an industry from uh, from a back door in the sense that we were focused on the problem and not necessarily on like packaging industry needs yeah. of invention. Like it wasn't the way we thought of it. Yeah, that's uh, there. There was a guy um, who's a friend of mine actually out here in Salt Lake City that I had on the podcast, and um, he he. Is is basically pioneering um, cellulose. He's a scientist. Mm -hmm. Cellulose made out of the carbon in the air. So yeah. it's using, you know. And he he's like, I didn't want to get into the packaging industry. He said I was trying to figure out how do we create a carbon negative process for something, and we just stumbled upon cellulose. And then from there, we found out that turns out, you know, cellulose acetate and paper is mostly used in the the kind that they can create mostly used in the packaging space so um, kind of a similar thing where um, and I think there's a really cool note for people in there who maybe are listening to this with more of an entrepreneurial spirit or even if you're in business development or marketing and you have to have an entrepreneurial kind of mindset mm -hmm. is um, I, I put this out on LinkedIn a lot my dad used to tell me all the time you fall in love with the problems you don't fall in love with your own solutions yeah. And so this idea that you set out to solve a problem that you had experienced as a, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO and said, this is a problem. Let's try to fix this problem. Oh, and now the the the, the thing is packaging. But you didn't yeah. say, I really love packaging and I want to solve this particular packaging problem. Um, yeah. That's a cool. I think the uh, uh, the term that I have have started to try I don't know I don't it's still it's still a fluid terminology okay. because and the term is situational fluidity meaning yeah can yeah. you can you ebb and flow can you stand firm in your principles yeah can you ebb and flow with your with your processes and your methods and you know can you can you adjust to the situations while still staying principled I think is really difficult but those are the kinds of companies and people especially in the middle of this current especially. pandemic What's going to yeah, come out of this, if yeah. you were not prepared to be principled and also fluid, it's going to be really difficult to navigate um, personally and also just corporately, I think. so. Um, I, think 
Excellent point. I think 2020, I was going to say that is like a, a year where that is required to, to the max. Um, and I think you have to ask yourself a lot of questions, but along any entrepreneurial journey, you have to ask yourself a lot of questions about why you got into something in the first place. Um, because ultimately, you it, when you enter an industry, especially one that you don't know that much about, something that I think is cool is how Steph and I came to the packaging industry with somewhat of a beginner's mindset. We didn't come in and it's not like secretly Stefan or my parents like ran some packaging company or we actually know everything about the industry. We came in kind of like wide-eyed and we aren't here to tell people their business. Like we didn't come in by being like, you know, old industry must need modernization, like some rote perspective. We just came in kind of being like, hey, there's a lot of people like having a really hard time buying this stuff. And 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 we've and our manufacturing, you know, network and people we work with are like, yeah, like we've noticed that too. We're not, you know, we're not here to tell anyone tell anyone their business. It's more like hey, can we all agree that there's this set of problems or that the internet could be utilized like better, you know, to, to help um, people order packaging? And most of the time everyone's like, yeah, we agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's more about like solving that as opposed to, I think, uh, the concept that you just come in and you like have some brilliant thesis that someone else like missed, you know, like because they weren't paying attention. Like that's not really the point. Right. It's almost like empathetic entrepreneurship where you first dive in and then you are unearthing together uh, the the solutions rather than um, I'll, I'll use I'll, I'll use a, a a term that I learned as a pastor, which is it's just an interesting term, but it's called eisegetical, which okay. E-I-S, which means to read into or to place on top of. Okay. So the eisegetical approach would have been packaging is it needs to be fixed and I'm going to fix it and you just jump in and you're like I'm going to slam this thing down and it seems like there are people who have tried that and they're they're no longer whereas yeah. you kind of came in on on sort of the empathetic route or the 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 opposite of eisegesis is exegesis which means to pull out of you were into it and then you were rising up along with everybody so yeah um, and now you know to to uh uh, interpretation words from, from a, from a pastor. So there you go. I'm learning some good pastor words that I didn't know. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that is really, really core because ultimately, um, what Lumi actually is, and we can get kind of Let's get, get into more that. Into I want to, yeah. cause I think people want to know like, okay, yeah. cool. Like she has what cool cars and she lives in an Airstream <laughs> and this guy she? knows some packaging, some pastor terms. So, uh, but what is Lumi? So let's get into it. Yeah, so Lumi, I would think of Lumi um, in, in two ways in terms of what we're building. One thing that Lumi is building is an online platform that brands can tap into uh, to source and manage all of their packaging end to end. So, uh, you know, do you need boxes, tissue paper, stickers, um, collateral, and you need it, you know, and you need to produce it in a bunch of different factories, obviously, because all those things are using different production methods. And then maybe you have four or five different distribution centers because you're scaling. And so somehow you need to figure out where to produce everything and then ship it out to five different locations. So you've got all this supply chain complexity and you need to manage that. And, and so part of what Lumi is, is an online platform for managing that online. You do not have to place a million phone calls um, and emails. Uh, you can see your production statuses. 
historically workflows that have been very um, physical and old school, like proof approvals um, are happen in the platform and are completely auditable. So um, like, you know, which employee or team member your company approved what artwork on what date in, in the platform. So like, think of that part as the interface, like bringing these historical workflows online. Um, and the main beneficiary of that um, right now is, is the brand, the person actually ordering. Although manufacturers benefit too through reduction of mistakes and, and like all sorts of stuff like that. The second part of Lumi though is like we we're based in LA. We're we're a fairly you know compact team um, in LA. Um, and also we've got some folks all over, but um, especially remotely. Uh, but the other part of Lumi is that we um, we do not purport to be manufacturing all of your stuff. We work with factories all over the world um, from really big partners like International Paper all the way down to small mom and pop manufacturers in, uh, you know, local geographies. And um, and so Lumi is a, is a network. Lumi is effectively has marketplace dynamics where it's like half the battle is actually managing this stuff. And then the other half of the battle is making sure that for every component you're working with the correct factory. It's like a thumbprint. Like you, a box factory isn't just a box factory. Like I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but like basically, you know, what equipment do they own? What volumes do you need and what geography? Like, you know, if you don't match that properly, you're, you're not going to get the right output. Um, so Lumia is software and then Lumia is a network is like, one framework for what we're building. Awesome. Uh, well, and I'm glad to I'm glad to know that you're preaching, and it wasn't just me that you're <laughs> you're you're stepping up to the plate. Uh, that's really cool. So uh, let me let me ask you a question about the proofing process because yeah. we do have a lot of packaging people who listen to this, and they're in various either for manufacturers, typically manufacturers, design companies, or people who work at brands who have to interact with packaging, large and small. Sure. Um, so I think that there are probably a lot of people who, if you've dealt with artwork, like I work, my full-time job, I, I work for a manufacturer that okay. makes printed packaging. Yeah. And, and so when, when the proofing process is, is going on, what, what are you guys doing to automate that? Are, are you working with both the brand and the manufacturer and then you host it on your site so then does it api like how does that all how does that work because i agree it is it's a it can be a very long process and it gets frustrating yep. for for some people so what are you guys doing to help with that I, i'm personally yep. really interested in <laughs> you're like tell me and then show me <laughs> yeah um so um uh, the, the the basic mechanic of the actual proof approval on the Lumia platform is that the manufacturer has their has their approved proof um, and actually uploads that that actually gets uploaded into the Lumia system and then the um, and then the customer on the brand side the actual um, contact in the Lumia platform um, actually reviews that alongside not just the not just the digital proof but also a structured set of specification information that's also in the platform Got so um, and the structured spec is always structured in a lumi spec template in the same way so the brand can learn our spec template 
um, and they always can compare that to the to the proof. I'll make sure everything matches up about the structured spec information and the proof, and then they can approve that digitally online. The manufacturer gets notified that this is now uh, a production run with an approved proof, and then they can start production. So they are never um, triggered to start production until an approved proof is in the system. They can see exactly what employee um, at that company approved the proof on what date. Everyone has an auditable trail of that. Yeah. There's no email back and forth that's like final, final, dash 579 is like, that's the one, right? You know, like it, there's no, it's just not possible for that to occur. And the structured spec, I think, is really important because it gives the brand an extra layer of trust where a packaging engineer in our team has reviewed um, spec information and it's like, not just text written on the proof. The proof is mainly about reviewing the artwork and then like knowing that it's B flute, um, you know, and, and knowing the actual details is actually in, in information that is like solid and written out um, in a structured specification. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, there are, there are probably people now who are listening to this who are like, yes, because <laughs> when you think about it, not every, well, not every proof is the same. And so a lot of proofs, it could be the exact same, you know, like a pressure sensitive label or a corrugated box or a litho laminate, whatever it is, the, the proof can be the same in terms of the artwork and it's going to call out the colors, but they don't always have the material specs. And I know in my, it, it's happened to me in the past where a, a designer, uh, you know, tr like maybe, maybe there's been a change to uh, I'll, I'll use a label. Maybe we went from a white BOPP label to a craft a yeah. uh, semi-gloss label, but it was never updated on the proof. It was updated in the spec sheet. So then the proof gets redone because there's a revision and then the proof gets uploaded. So now, now it's signed off as the BOPP. So it gets printed and now it's like, well, now it's just this big, uh, you know, yeah. game of where it's struggling between the manufacturer and the customer. And it's like, there's data, there's like so much room for data, like lack of data integrity. So yeah, in our world, the, the, um, the artwork, um, is always attached to the spec template. Um, and both, I, both things are approved all at once. And the spec template is always a Lumi structured spec template so that, um, the, the customer, can go back and look at a previous version or different boxes that they, let's say it's a corrugate box, like they can look at all their corrugate boxes and the same data is always in the same spot. So like they can truly do a compare. Cool. Um, they never have to like wonder or it's not written in an email somewhere. So so that 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 is a good example of one process where we saw it um, and we were like, this process deserves a digital upgrade. Like this process um, is the source of a lot of mistakes um, and can actually be completely um, completely locked down. Like th this is the type of thing where the packaging industry, this is where I'll say something that I don't want to be construed as negative, but this is where the packaging industry is a bit behind where it's like other industries have similar processes and they're all digitized and everything is cool and everyone's like game. Um, and so really in some ways at Lumi, sometimes it feels like we're building things that are like playing catch up. Like it's not that we're so wildly innovative. It's just that like, this stuff should exist. Like it should actually be an auditable trail of digital information. We all agree. We all agree. Okay, cool. Let's build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, I heard an interview with Jeff uh, Bezos, and he said um, somebody asked him what what he thought would happen in the next ten years, and he said I choose to think of what's not going to change. Yeah. And you know, and, and the whole idea is there's there's not going to be a company who's like we actually want 
we want less accountability in our proof and change. Like we, right. we want more risk into this process and we want it to take a lot longer. And if you can charge us more, we'd be right. really excited. Like no one, there's zero companies who will say that. And so focusing in on, I, that was a great perspective for me. Like, cause I, I tend to think through like, you know, I saw an article about like flying cars in Japan. I'm like, oh, and then I made my kids watch the Jetsons that actually happened this weekend. Um, and instead of kind of dreaming about these things, which is cool, and I'm glad people do it, but also you have like the most innovative, impactful company in my lifetime in Amazon, who went from an online library to the one of the largest companies in the world, because they were just kind of doing what you're talking about. They're just fixing logistical problems, um, yeah. amongst many other things, obviously. I'm there's a, there's a fun um, quote that I, I don't have proper attribution for. It was from an investor um, in Silicon Valley, but I, I it's like it's, it seems like multiple people have maybe said something similar. But the concept is um, a lot of innovative companies are not like what people assume them to be, which is like a bunch of people on a whiteboard, like in a room somewhere with a whiteboard and they're so brilliant and they're like coming up with ideas that no one's ever had. Um, like there's two different problems with that myth. Like one, a lot of times, plenty of people have had these ideas. Like I bet when we talk about digital proof approvals and like how to make the system better, I bet there's a bunch of people listening who are like, I've thought of something like that. Um, and so a huge component of building something that's not there is execution. It's just like actually finding a way to build it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other component is a lot of innovative companies are a group of people who are, the quote is like, living in the future and just building what's missing. Like they're already kind of in their brains living in a world where it's like, obviously there's digital proof approvals that are really robust. And obviously it's easy to track production steps across multiple product categories or like stuff that seems like, you know, kind of obvious to some group and they're just building what's missing in the world from their perspective. But again, I say that in a way that is like encouraging in the sense that a lot of people could do that um, because a lot of people probably do have insight into where the world is headed. Yeah, that's that's that that's spot on. Uh, and I love that idea of they're already living there. It's not it's not this future. It's not this future reality in their head. It's like, well, Clearly, it's like, this is this is what happens, and so we just have to build it. Correct. Uh, that's that's super insightful. Yeah, it's more like a, it's more like a, I can't believe this isn't there. Like I guess we should be the ones to build it. Um, and I think that's a lot of times the development mentality at Lumi, and that's where some of our um you know modesty comes from as well that's why i started with like we're not in this industry to tell someone like what they don't know about technology it's more like hey like there's a lot of best practices and cool stuff that like exists in the world that we're probably pretty good at building that we can bring to this packaging industry like isn't that cool like yeah it's more look at our fun toolkit we're making like it's it's a little bit more of a friendly mentality um around technology compared to like someone got this wrong let's fix it you know yeah that's awesome uh there's a have you read the book loon shots by safi bacall i have not i have okay. heard of it i have not read that yeah he he's got it he's got a whole thing in there about this the the question of why not and how like how all these companies came it's it's really great i'll uh if, if you want I've, I've got a copy it's actually cool. sitting right there I, so I'll, I'll get i'll get, I'll get one yeah 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 cool. uh anyway well I want to I want to kind of wrap up because I have a, I have one last Lumi question and then I'm going to ask you kind of the 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 magic the magic wand question and then we'll we'll want people to be able to get in touch with you because I I think what's going to happen is that people will listen to this um, and and hopefully 
be really excited and encouraged and and want to make their lives easier. Um, so my my question with with respects to Lumi would be, as you have as you're kind of um, continuing to evolve and grow, you know, it's yes. it's whatever three and a half years of like full on realization within the packaging world, five, six years, whatever it is that you've been around. Um, so you're still you're you're still young and it's it's got to be still super exciting and invigorating. Um, yeah. So today, though, right now, do you have like who's your like your ideal customer profile? Is it still that that entrepreneur who's starting off and in e-commerce? Is it or or is it, because packaging people ask me this all the time? They're like, well, who do you guys print things for? I'm like, well, we have digital presses, we have flex. Like yeah. we could we can we go from really different. small, like somebody making brownies in their kitchen, all the way up to a massive company. So. Yeah. Um, that's that. I really appreciate that question. We have found um, a kind of ideal sweet spot of growth in an organization where we where we usually jump in. Um, it is not actually when someone is just getting started. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times when someone is just getting started, they don't need the core of what we've built from a software perspective, which is really supply chain management. And when you think of it, like if you are ordering your first, you know, thousand or five thousand boxes, um, you just you need the boxes. Like I definitely admit you need the boxes, but you don't actually need supply chain management because you don't have much supply chain to manage yet. You're only shipping those boxes to your garage or like to your first, you know, small DC. Um, and who knows, you might use them over the course of like hopefully fast, but maybe but maybe it takes you a year to like work through those. Um, and so I think that the sweet spot for Lumi where people benefit from the network of manufacturers and the software is when they start having their first supply chain scaling issues. Um, they're shipping to multiple di distribution centers. They are um, realizing that their box isn't well optimized and, and like, you know, they're having breakage or some issue. Uh, so we find that that is... Um, you know, when, when a brand is scaling up, a lot of times like the, the triggers for that are maybe moving to multiple DCs um, or um, finding that they are uh, scaling their packaging across multiple packaging categories. Those are usually triggers for like, wow, Lumi might provide a lot of leverage for you. You might be able to use Lumi instead of scaling up your supply chain team or running around with your operations, you know, team with your head cut off. So we then might replace those those moments where you have to make an unnecessary hire or something like that. So I think that, that that's probably the sweet spot there. We work from brands that are you know, still in the startup phase uh, through to brands like Glossier and, and larger, you know, more traditional companies that are spending seven figures you know, on packaging and really like managing supply chain in a pretty intense way. Um, so that would be, that would be my answer okay. there. Um, we would love to, um, we're continuing to build out more and more product offerings that we can do business with even smaller and even larger companies like we're always trying to increase that range uh but that's probably you know cool. where we are and is it a is it like a is it like a SaaS, like a software as a service model is that how you guys operate so yes like you, the brand actually joins lumi we call it joining as a lumi member so what you do is you actually have an annual commitment to the platform um and it's actually framed off of your packaging spend um, like how much are you going to actually order from the network in an annual period? And then we set a Lumi rate structure for the platform based on your anticipated spend. And if you spend more, your rate structure is less, um, you know, et cetera, based on um, like 
because our network benefits tremendously from having more spend flowing through the platform. So we tried to keep all the incentives really aligned there too. Um, and so that's like, hmm. that's how it works. And so brands currently um, join as a member for usually most of their packaging, um, but sometimes a subset, like they're launching something or something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, so last two questions. So number one is uh, you you are given the the sword to change. And and I, I we even when we were talking through kind of, I was telling you about the call and that I'd be asking you this question. I even said, <laughs> I, I think you're gonna spend a lot of time talking about like you're you're clearly not a person who just says, well, I have this idea. Like you're you're probably doing whatever it is that you believe. Yeah. And that you'll keep doing that. So maybe it's not so much the the sword to change something in the packaging industry. Yeah. Um, maybe the question is when you say like you're standing in the reality, when yeah. you look out, what is that reality? that you're, you are present in without giving away any kind of secrets, obviously, but you know, like what, what is, what does that look like for you? I, I've got an answer that I feel pretty strongly about as okay. I'm sure you can imagine <laughs> from, from talking to me for 30 minutes. Um, it's that um, I think that uh, something that we've been, something that Lumi does on the platform is we offer full price transparency. We show you like when we return quotes to you, the brand for, let's say uh, you need 10,000 of a certain box um, and you need it outside of Nashville um, every two months. When we return options from various plants, we show you the true base cost being offered by that plant. Um, and we explain the differences. Like why is 150 cents and 145 cents? Well, one plant has a newer piece of equipment with tighter registration. Like we we demystify like why these price differences are out there. So everyone's not only just choosing the lowest one and assuming the best quality, like, and then disappointed. Um, so I think that when I look out the industry and I notice how many um, how much of it, it, how much of the human behaviors and kind of, from my perspective, wasted time occur around um, trying to protect pricing, <laughs> basically price opacity. <laughs> when I see how much effort goes into price opacity, I kind of feel like if I could wave a wand, I would be like, you know what, folks, like, let's just like, let's just admit that this probably isn't going to work um, for the next five or 10 or 20 years. Like people are going to demand to know a bit more about how this stuff got costed. Um, and they're going to want to be able to make, they're going to want more agency over their choices. Like, you know what, I will pay a little bit more because this facility has recently installed solar and I want to support sure. that. Um, so to me, like price transparency and, and like factual transparency about what's going on um, is probably something we're already pushing for. But if I got to wave a wand and have more people like generally accepting of it, I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, it's 2020 people, like, let's be transparent. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that the the brands are demanding it. Like, and, and so it's like sort of, we might be on the forefront of it, like a little bit bleeding edge where sometimes, you know, we might even lose like something because someone else is willing to spin a yarn and be opaque. And we're just like, you know what, it is what it is. Like, here's the, here's the facts. Um, but I'd rather live in that world. So mm -hmm. like, I think um, transparency in this industry in general is something that I would love to have embraced like a little bit faster um, if I got to wave a wand. Yeah, that's, that's, it, it's totally true. Um, Cause you think about like, there was a Forbes article in January of 2020, which feels like 15 years ago at this point, because uh, yeah. it was pre, it was pre pandemic hitting the United States. But in the Forbes article, they said uh, that millennials and, and Gen Z who are just like, 
I think I'm a millennial. I'm like right on the like Gen X millennial border. Um, but but I'll throw myself in the millennial category for now. Um, is that we are willing to spend 10% more on products that we believe are environmentally, um, you know, sustainable and making a positive impact globally. And that is causing, I think it's, I think it's going to drive a lot of transparency. I think the transparency um, is going to become a, a necessity. And I totally agree. There, there is almost like you look at, we'll go back to Amazon because it's kind of Amazon's world. And you see when you go to order something, they have your price, they have your reviews, they have when it's going to ship. And then they also have all of your competitors information down there. And you don't really care if you're the brand owner because you're just trying to sell your product. So um, completely agree. I think it's a great answer. Um, so. <laughs> I think that it's true that it's being driven from the consumer level and too often at B2B, when it, when things um, hit B2B, people act like that trend might not affect them. And it's like, no, this is a no. freight train. People are demanding to know where the fish oil in their vitamin came from, like what fish, like they are not going to then like buy, you know, huge amounts of consumer goods or accept packaging that came to their doorstep and have no idea what it's made Correct. out of. Like it's just over. Like, so let's like, let's find a way to adapt um, as fast as we can. Yeah. You know? Cause B to C people have jobs as B to B decision makers. Right. That's the thing. Like they, it doesn't like they just turn it off when no. they go there. No, they, they, yeah, exactly. That same person investigating the fish oil and the vitamin goes to work. And like, if they're procuring a million dollars worth of packaging, they're not sitting there going like, I don't care where this came from. Like they, they yeah, they, yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to, we're going to be friends. Just, I'm just letting you know right now. Uh, <laughs> fair warning. Um, okay. So uh, this has been great. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on. Is it Lumi.com? Is that how? Yes. How yes. Yeah. People can visit us at Lumi.com. We're also um, at Lumi on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we stay pretty active on social stuff. And then I'm just at Jesse Janae um, on Twitter and Instagram as well. So you can always hit us up, um, you know, on our website or on our social handles. Do you have a preference, Twitter, Instagram? I think Twitter is great for like direct kind of conversation and reach outs, but, um, but otherwise, you know, email of course is, um, is still, uh, is still an old standby. You can reach us at hello at lumi.com and as our general box. Cool. Um, well, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that in the notes. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, it's exciting. It's cool. Uh, what you're doing. I feel like it's just the start even that you're yeah. going to keep because you have the, you have the right, um, my, you have this, you have this, the right mindset to keep digging and bobbing and weaving and finding and fixing and solving and growing and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's cool. And, I, and I'm excited to, to watch your journey and to even be a small part of it here on the podcast. So awesome. um, thank you for coming on for sure. And mm -hmm. I think uh, when, whenever we do the next episode, you have to be in the Airstream trailer. <laughs> Okay. And maybe we'll do like the Lumi episode or something where it's you and your co-founder or somebody else like that. And, I think uh, you get a meeting stuff in, so I'd love, we'd love to do that. Yeah. Okay. And, and who knows, maybe it could even be in person. Fingers yeah. crossed. Exactly. That we could actually meet other human beings. So thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much as well. All right. And stop.